Welcome to Turnaround Church. We're so glad that you're here, and uh, we want to welcome you in as we are worshiping the Lord today. Whether you're watching us live on Sunday morning or you are watching us on a repeat some other time, uh, then we're just so glad that you're here. We want to uh, ask you a favor. If you will, if you'll go to the, our website, turnaround.church, and go to the I'm New box, there's a card there. It's like the second one down. I'm new. And uh, that way you could fill that out. That's our e-connection card. That way we can have the record of your visit. We believe that you're visiting us. And listen, we have a tremendous uh, sermon in store for you. If I do say so myself, it's a really good sermon. But we're going to, uh, today, as we're recording, it. we're honoring uh, tomorrow will be memorial day monday will be memorial day so we're going to to uh, honor uh, our those that have fallen and so if you'll just kind of watch along on this video if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow who left his job in a small-town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. 
It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Father, we just come to you this morning. We're so grateful that you have placed us within a nation that is free because of those that have paid the ultimate price. Lord, from the birth pains of this nation in the Revolutionary War, God, through the Spanish-American Wars, through the two world wars, God, through Korea, Vietnam, all the Middle East conflicts, God, we pray, God, that you would just be with the families of those that have lost loved ones. We're so grateful to them, Lord, because they paid the ultimate price along with their loved one. They sacrificed their loved one for our freedom. And God, I just pray right now, Lord, those that have lost loved ones, that your Holy Spirit would comfort them, that you would give them peace. And Lord God, that our gratitude as a nation would be conveyed to them, those that we don't know, God, that someone would come across their path that would would express our gratitude for the sacrifice that they made by giving of their loved one. And Lord, we just stand today grateful that you've placed us here. Grateful, God, that those were, were willing to do like Jesus said, there's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends. And though we don't know most of those that lay down their life, God, we consider them our friends and our family, God. And we're so grateful that they were willing to do that for the freedom of our nation and for freedom around the world. And Lord, as we honor them tomorrow and today, God, we pray, God, that, that those families would be comforted, would be encouraged. And Lord, we give you grace, praise and honor in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen and amen. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Well, today we are going to wrap up our series uh, called Build, Plant, and Live. And we are, uh, just as a way of recapping, I'm actually going to read the scriptures that we have been coming from. And this is in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. So starting in verse 4 through the English Standard Version, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's his command. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Now this is where we're going to take this week's sermon from. 
Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare. I'm going to be speaking today on assets versus liability. Assets versus liability. He told them to pray for the welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. Now this word welfare is also the word peace or shalom in Hebrew. Shalom is not just peace. It's translated peace and it's translated welfare. But it also gives us the contents or the thought of being complete. To make complete or wholeness, or well-being. So he told, through Jeremiah, God told those that are in exile to seek the well-being, or the wholeness, or seek to make complete the city that I've sent you into. This is a very strange command from God to seek the welfare of Babylon, because Babylon was the capital of paganism. It is known as, and it's still in Revelation, Babylon is every uh, evil society, every pagan society is titled Babylon in the scripture. But God told them to seek the welfare of there. And it's like this word shalom is like a, a wall missing bricks. It's like find the missing bricks and put them in place to make that wall complete. So what did Jeremiah mean by seek the welfare? Or what did God mean by seek the welfare or peace of that city? What he was saying was he wants, God wants us to be an asset to the city that we're in. in. In accounting, you have assets and liabilities. And assets are things that you own that have value that will create value for you, that create value for the company. And so as an asset of a company... It is something that, that like a building or real estate, it's an asset. So it's something that is it's increasing in value, and so it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit the company. However, a liability is something that constantly costs the company money, or it, it is something that costs the company. It is a, the cost of doing business. That's a liability. Uh, if, you're, if you bought a vehicle for for a, the company. That's a liability because the car depreciates. So it's not an asset because it's not appreciating. It is a liability. God wants us to be an asset to the place where we live. He wanted those in exile to be an asset to the place where they are living. He said, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked is it overthrown. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. When the upright, when the, those that are children of God begin to bless a city, it is exalted. The city becomes exalted, is what the scripture is saying. But with the, when the wicked begin to, to speak, the city is overthrown. So you could be, very well be the reason why a place prospers. You could be a reason why the business that you work for 
or the business that you own or the business that you're employed, wherever it is, you could be the reason why they prosper because when you speak blessings, and I've talked about this, I've talked about speaking blessings over, uh, over things and over people. When you speak blessings, when you speak life into a situation, when you are the highest ranking uh, spiritual person or, or child of God there. So say everyone in authority over you are, are not Christians or they're not spirit-filled or what have you. They're, they're in authority over you. You as the highest ranking Christian child of God. Last week, remember, we talked about the children of God manifesting, taking the rightful place of authority. When you take your place of authority, when you take your place of responsibility, you can make a difference in that company. You can make, be an asset or you can be a liability. You can either be dogging the company all the time and causing problems, causing strife, or you can be speaking life in that situation. You can speak into it. What you release over a place, what you release over a place weighs, has significant weight in the spirit realm. So he was telling those in exile, he said, I want you to seek the welfare of the place that you are in exile. This is so counterintuitive, and that's the way God is all the time. Everything God does, he says, I use the, the, the wisdom, I use foolish things to confound the wise. In other words, he says, I do things that seems like foolishness, but it's there because I know the purpose behind it. It seems foolish for someone that has been taken captive, listen to me, been taken captive, and brought into exile, so they've been taken from their home. They're living in a foreign land with foreign people, with pagans everywhere. Now, get, don't, don't forget, these people were there because they had started worshiping other gods. So it's not that unfamiliar to them, apparently. But, they, you know, if you're displaced from your home, if you're not in your home, when you go stay with someone else, you stay at someone else's house, no matter how... Well, you know them. No matter how comfortable you are in their home, you're still not home. There's still an unsettledness. There's still something, especially when you get to be my age, you get settled and you get comfortable and you like your chair, you like your TV, you like your bed, you like all the things, you like it your way. But you've been uprooted, they've been uprooted out of their home, out of their comfort and put into a foreign city, an ungodly city, and God tells them, seek the welfare of that city. Seek the welfare of that city. See, we've got to remember Proverbs chapter 18 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So when you speak, it carries power, positive or negative. So we want to look at an example of in this specific situation, we'll look at an example of Daniel. Daniel was one of those that was brought that was brought into captivity in Babylon. The king commanded Asphenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. 
and Azariah he called Abednego. So Daniel and his friends were taken captive because they were pretty and they were smart. Can you imagine that's why you were brought captive because you were good looking and you were smart. That's what the king's command was. Get the good looking ones, the smart ones, get those. And so Daniel and his friends were taken captive. So Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel is brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he brought all of his wise men up to them, up to him saying, I need someone to interpret this dream. They said, okay, no problem. Tell us what your dream is. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me what, my, what I dreamed, and then you're going to give them the interpretation. They're going to do what? We're going to do what? Oh, nobody can do that. No, no, no. No, no, you've got to tell us your dream. Well, see, what he was doing was saying, listen, you're not going to manipulate me. So I want you to tell, you, tell me what I dreamed and then tell me the interpretation. Well, they couldn't do it. So he decided, Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, we're going to kill all the wise men. And that included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So when Daniel heard about this, he sent word to the king. He said, wait, 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 wait. I can do that. I can do that because of the God I serve. So Daniel was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, so you have the skills. He said, I do because of my God. See, Daniel was not disrespecting the king, but he was saying, listen, the God that I serve, he has that ability. He can tell you what you dreamed, and then he can tell you what you, because he sent that dream to you. And so he, he told him what he dreamed, nailed it head on. Then he told him the interpretation of the dream. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 Verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. He's, he's worshiping him as a god. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. Daniel was in exile, and what he could have said was, I mean, hey, I hate to be you, man. Sorry about that. You brought me into exile. You brought me captive. I ain't helping you out. But what did Daniel do? He said, no, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to operate in my anointing. Remember I talked about operating in your anointing. He, I'm going to operate in my anointing. And what happened was the same thing that happened to Joseph. Joseph, though, no matter what situation he found himself in, when he operated his anointing, he still came, rose above. So then when Daniel rose above, he brought his friends with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So then... Daniel was, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. And so he started with Daniel. He didn't go to his other wise men. He had another dream and he brought Daniel and, told, and he told Daniel what the dream was. And this was Daniel's response before he interpreted it. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. 
This was his captor. This was the one that took him captive. And he said, I wish the interpretation of this dream was for your enemies. Because it's so bad, I wish it was for your enemies instead of you. His heart was for that king. This is the king that brought him into captivity. This is the king that took him out of his home. This is the same king. But what he's doing is he is honoring him. He is seeking the welfare of that city. He is honoring the king. Now remember, his friends, they honored the king too. But when it took, came time for the king to say, okay, here's a statue of me. You all need to bow down and worship. They said, uh-uh. No, 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 no. We honor you, but we're not going to worship you because we worship one king, one God. So he said, all right, I'm going to throw you in the, in the furnace. I'm going to throw you in the fire. No problem. Our God can deliver us. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to you. So again, he threw them in the fire and... He looked over the, into the fire and he said, wait, wait. Then we throw three guys in there. There was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Who's that fourth person in there? And he looks like the Son of Man. This was a phrase meaning looks like a God. And so they, they opened the doors, they turned the fire off, opened the doors, brought them out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Nothing burnt, nothing singed on him. The king said, uh, y'all God is great. Your God is awesome. We're going to serve your God. The same one that said about the statue of me, we're going to serve your God. See, they honored him, but they didn't let him change, let him change their allegiance. He had his allegiance to, their allegiance to God. They were still pure. They stayed holy. They stayed uh, true to God, but they still honored the king. Okay. This brings me, and I didn't put this down here, but in Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about honoring those that are in authority over you. Paul says to honor those that are in authority over you because God put them there. And I've had people say, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm telling you, the scripture says God put them there. I'm telling you, God put Joe Biden in office. Oh, don't throw no stones at me. I'm just saying what the scripture says. And there is a purpose and a reason why he is in office. There's a reason why he was allowed to become our president and not because it comes some conspiracy theory, whatever, okay, whatever, I'm just saying he's our president and God allowed him to become our president for a purpose. I believe that Obama was brought into our office to wake up the church, to wake us up. And what we do, we got all political, got all crazy, and then, and so anyway, that being said, God's plan is still in place. We honor those that are in authority over us. We are to be respectful. Now, if it comes to them telling us to worship some other God, if it comes to them dictating how we are to worship God, that's when we can stand up and say, no, mm -mm. no, I honor you, but that's too far. This is who I honor. I mean, that's what happened to Paul. Paul, and when they were, in the, when they were thrown in jail, they were thrown in jail because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And they were doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And so they brought them before the, the, the 
before the council and said, okay, we're going to let you go, but you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. And they said, uh, whether we obey you or obey God, we're going to obey God. So they still released them. They, said, they never said, okay, we're going to do that. They never said that. We're going to obey God. And then they went to the prayer meeting, and they prayed, not that God would rescue them, not that God would take them out of, out of Rome, Roman oppression, not that God would... They prayed, Lord, give us boldness that we can speak even more about Jesus, speak more in the name of Jesus. They still honored the authority, but God wanted them to understand it is you need to seek the peace. Here in Ecclesiastes, there was an example of one person that made a difference. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a, is a, uh, a, a case for mental health in Scripture because Solomon went just really, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. He's, he's, he's like, you know, he's really depressed. He was, he was, he was really depressed in this book, but there, he's also wrote some, some wisdom things. He says in verse 13 of chapter 9, I have also seen this, this example of, of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Solomon, he said, I saw this example of wisdom, and it seemed great to me, the one that God gave him wisdom. There was a little, a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. This one man made a difference. He saved the city because of his wisdom. The scripture didn't tell us what he did, scripture, but he said one person, one person operating in the wisdom of God can overcome an entire army. One person, no matter what their status is in life, what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what it is, one person with the Holy Spirit of God in in them can make a difference in their society. You and I, no matter where we are in life, what station we are in life, no matter what socioeconomic place we are, we can make a difference when we operate in the anointing that God has given us. When we stand in our place and become who God told us to be we can make a difference. Psalm, Psalm 122. There's been a whole thing about this because of the, the tension in the Middle East between Israel and, and, and the Hamas and the Palestinians. There's been a whole rigmarole about this, but the scripture in Psalms tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Remember, he told them, seek the welfare of a city. He said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be, and this is what the prayer is, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord of God, of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. He did not say, agree with everything that happens in Jerusalem. Agree with everything Israel does. He doesn't say that. He doesn't command the church to agree with everything. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for its peace. Pray for its well-being. He says, he told the exiles, seek the welfare of that city. 
We are to seek the welfare of Jerusalem. We are to seek the welfare of the city and the place where we live. There's a video I want us to watch, and it kind of summarizes this whole thing, and we're going to watch that for a second by the Bible Project. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority, surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited, along with some friends, to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So, for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right. This is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime. But then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall, and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile, waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. 
Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power, and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But, well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or doesn't. In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. Loyalty and subversion. You understand that God venerates. He talked about uh, Jesus, how God venerated Jesus, not venerated, but, but brought restitution. If you remember when Daniel was taken captive in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was, he was told to eat the king's meat. The king wanted to fatten him up. And, he, and Daniel knew that, that that food had been offered to pagan idols. And so he said, I can't eat that food. So he made a deal with the eunuch that was over them, said, listen, let me have 21 days where I eat nothing, no good, no good thing, no uh, choice food, nothing like that. Let me eat what what I eat, let me eat vegetables and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of those 21 days, if I'm not, you know, look, I don't look healthy like the rest of them do, then I'll eat that meat. I'll eat the king's food. But let me try that. And so what happened was he actually, they were healthier. Those guys were healthier at the end of those 21 days. This is where we get our Daniel fast from. This is where we get that. At the end of those 21 days, they were healthier than the, the ones that had eaten the, the food from the king. And so they were able to not eat the king's food because God vindicated them. God vindicated them because they honored him. So what I'm saying is, is we are to live in this society. We, as you heard them say, we are exiles. Now I have made the statement of, of that, you know, talking about how we as Pentecostals always talk, we're pilgrims in a weary land and all this kind of stuff. God made us for this place. We do belong to another kingdom. We are uh, citizens of another kingdom, but we were made to put here, the, the body that we are in was made for this place. I do a teaching when I do, I teach kids and I, I do a, I'll show a picture of a, 
astronaut in space in his suit, and I'll, and I'll point, show the picture, and I say, how many see the astronaut? Everybody raises their hand. I said, okay, no, 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 no. Let me ask it again. How many people see the astronaut? And some, some of them say, well, oh, oh, some of them, I said, all right, one more time. How many see the astronaut? And then nobody, they all have a quizzical, I said, you don't see the astronaut, you see his space suit. He's inside that. We are, you don't see me, you see my earth suit. You see what I'm, how I was formed for this earth, but inside of me is a spirit. I am a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. At some point, this body will decay. decay. At some point, this body will go the way of everything else in this earth. It will deteriorate. However, when I am raised again, the spirit being will be renewed, and I will come with a new body, and it's my spirit body, and you'll begin to see me as we are. The scripture says you'll, we'll see each other as we, as we are known. We'll be known as we are known. And we, the thing is, we've got to understand, we are living in exile here on this earth. We, as children of God, are living in exile. We are to seek the welfare of this place. We're not to seek to get out of here. We're not to try to do what we can to get out of here. We're not trying, we're not trying to escape here. We are to do what God's called us to do. We are here for a purpose. God wants to save this world. God wants to rescue this world through us. We have a responsibility to seek the welfare of this place. Though we belong to a whole other world, though we belong to a new, another society, we are new creatures, the scripture says. We are a new species of being, yet we are born for here. Our flesh is made for here, and we are to seek the welfare of this place. That's why I, I do have no patience for Christians that are, that, that are constantly conspiracy theorists and constantly trying to, to do, uh, trying to, are always talking bad about our government, talking bad about everybody, because the thing is, is we're here for this world's good. We're here for them. We're not here in spite of them. We're here for them. God placed us on this earth for those lost people. We were born again. We were saved because we were one of them. God rescued us. He took us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He brought us from death back into life. He woke us up. He brought us to him so that we may be those that reach out and make disciples of all nations. That's why Jesus said before he left, you'll be my witnesses. Acts 1.8, he said, After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. In other words, to show people what I'm all about. The power that you receive, the power that you got at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, when you, that power that you got, you were to be a witness to those around you. You're not to be a detriment. You're not to be a liability. You're to be an asset to this world. We need to be an asset to this world. The church should be an asset to this world. And that's what we're called to be. So if you're, this morning, if you have, have been suffering through this life and wondering why am I here and what am I doing and you've had these questions all in your mind, I'm here to tell you the secret of life. The secret of life is you're here for other people. 
Now that may not sound very good to some of you because you don't like other people. You'd rather just be off by yourself, but I'm here to tell you, we are here for others. And if you have had, though, if you're watching online and you have had this, this desire in your heart to reach out to people, but you just don't seem to have the equipment, you're not equipped to do it for some reason. You don't seem like you, you even know what to do or how to do it. I'm here to tell you I know what it's all about. I know the secret. The secret is that God wants you to come into relationship with him to restore that thing before man fell. He wants to come into relationship with you so that he can empower you and equip you so that you can be an asset to this world. He will power, give you strength, give you power that you can feel worth something. You can be worthy because he will make you worthy. And you will have something that everybody else needs. And you'll be able to share it with those around you. And if that's you, whenever you're watching this, whether it's live or you're watching it on the replay years later, I want to help you with that. I want to help you with language to be able to verbalize this. If you just repeat after me, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just from the bottom of your heart, just take a moment, think about what you're saying and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Listen, if you said that with me, if you repeated that prayer after me, we believe you were born again. We believe you have started the journey of the relationship with God. This faith journey that we're all on, that we're still discovering, you have started taking the first step it won't be everything that you'll ever talk about with God. There's a lot more to go. There's a lot more conversations you'll have with God. He wants to speak with you. He wants to have a conversation with you, just like you do with a friend. He wants to have a conversation with you. But this is just the starting point. He said, I, he said Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in, and I will sup with him. In other words, I'll come in, and I will, I'll make that my home. And so we believe he did that for you. If you prayed that prayer with me, we want to help you. We want to resource you to be able to know the next steps, what you need to do next. If you'll go to our website, turnaround.church, and go down to the bottom, and there's a card that says, I just received Jesus. Again, turnaround.church, go to the bottom, I just received Jesus, and fill out that information. Uh, include your mailing address. It's not required, but if you will, include your mailing address. We'll drop ship a book to you called 10 Steps Toward Christ. 10 Steps Toward Christ It's just a resource just for you to have so to let you know what to do next. The next steps in developing your spiritual disciplines and knowing what to do in your relationship with God. It's not everything, but it's a resource. We want to do that for you. So if you'll do that for us, we want to help you out. We want to partner with you. And if you prayed that prayer with us, we are rejoicing with you. And we're excited because God has done something in your life. Listen, those of you that are watching, if you are part of, you want to be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, if you want to give your tithes and offerings, those of you in the house, we've got an offering receptacle in the back. There's envelopes back there. You can fill out your check or money order or check or cash. Put that in the envelope. Put your name and address on there and you'll get tax credit for it. 
Those of you watching online, there's multiple ways that you can give. If you want to give, you can go to our, go to, if you're watching on Facebook, go to our Facebook page and click the Shop Now button, and that'll take you to our giving platform. Again, we didn't put a Donate button because it takes six months for the money to get to us. We kind of like to have our money sooner than that. But anyway, if you take, do the Shop Now, take you to our giving platform, just a few pieces of information, either a debit, credit card, or an ACH. The ACH is actually better for us. It costs less money, but however you want to do it, you can do that. Uh, you can go to our website, turnaround.church, go to the giving tab. It'll take you to the exact same platform, the same pieces of information. You can give that way. The, the actual easiest way is to take your cell phone, your smartphone, go to the messaging app and text the dollar amount, just the dollar amount, whatever amount you want to give, no words or anything, just the dollar amount to 84321. 84321. You'll get a link. It'll text you back a link. It'll take you to that giving platform, select Turnaround Church, because several churches use the platform. Select Turnaround Church, fill out the information, again, debit, credit card, ACH, and you can give. The very next time you want to give, you text the dollar amount to 84321, and the next link you'll get will be the receipt. So it happens. It's, once you've set it up, it'll, it's very quick, about 10 seconds, the way to give. And also, if you want to... Uh, you want to use Venmo. We've got a couple of people that give via Venmo. I don't know why they want to, but they just want to. And so our handle is at Turnaround Church. That's simple, at Turnaround Church. So uh, we welcome that as well. Now, if you want to mail a check or money order, we'd be glad for you to do that. P.O. Box 1506, Cedar Park, Texas, 78630. Again, P.O. Box 15. 06 Cedar Park, Texas, 78630. Uh, if you don't get it before it leaves the screen, just go to our website, turnaround.church. It's on the footer of every page. Our physical address and our mailing address are there. We'd love for you to join us at 11 o'clock on Sundays. Love to have you here. If you're within driving distance, and I consider that about an hour or so, uh, you can come and be with us on Sundays at 11. Come at 1030. We have donuts and coffee and, and that sort of thing. So we want to visit with you and get to know you. Uh, we'd love to have you. All right. Well, before I let you go, I want to bless you. So before you go and have holiday weekend, put yourself in a receiving posture. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. May you know that if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, that your leaf will not wither, and whatever you do, it shall prosper. Bless you. We'll see you next time.